0: and now podcasting from a two-person hot tub high atop the butterfield park water tower it's the e-town lowdown created by robbie and rick and now your handsome hosts pk rick and their highly paid intern Milord. welcome to another special edition of the e-town lowdown covid19 pandemic today is tuesday december 13th 2022 and uh, we've got a really special show today, which I'll get to in a minute. But um, what's really special is we're on site and I have my sidekick PK with me. How are you, PK?
1: Great. Great to be here. I'm honored to be here today. Special day.
0: So we're we're here uh, on site at Elmhurst Memorial Hospital, masked up with our good friends, Pamela Dunley, who's the president and CEO of Elmhurst Hospital. We've got Dr. Kim Derry, who's the future President and CEO of Elmhurst Hospital, and we have Dr. Michelle Mazier, who is the COVID Coincident Commander. She's got lots of titles. I totally hacked up her title last time we were together. So uh, is is that close enough, Doctor? That was perfect. Great. So we haven't uh, had a chance to chat in several months, and uh, I'm sure a lot's happened here at the hospital, and in particular as it relates to COVID. So. Um, Pam, could you give us a little update on what's going on with COVID patients here?
2: I'm happy to. And it is kind of a gloomy day out, although the room we're in, we can't see out the window like I usually do. Um, I just want to say it's been over two and a half months, and things are still in a pretty steady state. Although, as you hear out there, there are three illnesses going around, and so they are impacting all of us, not always getting hospitalized. But the numbers... On September 23rd, the last time we were together, we had 17 inpatients with COVID, two of those were on vents, and two were awaiting results. Now, today, we have 22 patients on COVID, two on vents, and two awaiting results. So, that's a little bit of a growth, and we've just noticed the growth over the last couple of weeks. So, we're watching very, that very carefully. In terms of Elmhurst COVID deaths, we went from 311 to 328. And then um, of the people who do have COVID, eight of those were not vaccinated and 14 have been vaccinated. In DuPage County, there was 266,000 last time. Now there are 277,000. DuPage County deaths went from 1,873 to 1,903, and the state had 3.76 million patients last time uh, with COVID. Now there are 3.92 million patients with COVID, and um, the state deaths went from 39,610 up to 40,422. And the good news is COVID discharge patients Went from 3,455 to 3,729. And for the entire time we have had COVID, the recovery rate remains at 97%.
1: All right, Rick, we're going to quiz you on all that later. I got it.
0: 97%. That's all that matters.
1: <laughs> so, Pam, are there any new variants or subvariants that have emerged in our area lately?
2: Well, I'm sure Dr. Mazir would love to answer that one. There are.
3: Um, We have been seeing the Omicron variant predominantly in our area, and so now what we're seeing are basically sub-variants, but still Omicron is the primary circulating main variant.
1: And are there like any special uh, symptoms or anything that...
3: You know, we're seeing, I can tell you clinically, what we're seeing are more people with mild symptoms, and predominantly right now, uh, the two symptoms that are presenting most often are sore throat and headache. So those are the big ones that are now presenting as uh, COVID. It's interesting to watch the symptoms change as the variants change. We're seeing very few people now who have lost their taste or smell. But in the beginning, that was kind of telltale. If you lost your taste or smell, we knew you had COVID, and that's kind of gone away.
0: So is it is the um, virus that much mutated? I mean, you, that was such a common symptom in all the respiratory stuff it's not happening as much anymore.
3: Still seeing respiratory, but int- the interesting change to me practicing clinically is the sore throat being such a factor now. When in the beginning it really wasn't, but still respiratory.
0: So I know there's these these other things going around flu and, and RSV, um, and they're you know I've been watching the weekly inpatient numbers here at the hospital as it relates to COVID, and you know it'll spike one week and then it'll go back down, and it, you know I think I heard. Pam, say 22 inpatient right now, which is a little bit of a spike again. Do you you think, does, does the medical community think there's going to be a big surge again?
3: I think the thing that we worry about is the colder weather. When it gets cold, we all go inside again. And then the holiday season. So we were together for Thanksgiving, and then we saw our numbers bump a little bit. They're probably steady. Um, and then we'll probably see a little bit of a dip until we all get back together for Christmas and then they'll probably go up again. And that's kind of how flu is seasonally too. So I think at some point we're getting to more, hopefully we're getting to more of a seasonality of COVID.
1: Is COVID more of a health concern than, than the flu or RSV?
3: You know, I'll be honest with you. I think it depends on the person that you're looking at. So if you have multiple medical problems, you're a high risk patient, um, the extremes of age. So RSV is in the news right now. RSV for your teeny tiny babies or your older people with comorbidities is pretty dangerous. So I wouldn't necessarily say that one is more dangerous than the other. I think it depends on what the patient is bringing to the table.
1: And I guess COVID has more unknowns. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So in terms of breakthrough um, COVID cases, does that continue to, to lead the cases because so many people are vaccinated?
3: So I think that what we're seeing is, again, it comes down to the risk of the patient. So if you are immunocompromised, multiple medical problems, older age, even if you're vaccinated, you're still probably more likely than a young, healthy person to have severe disease or breakthrough disease. And I think our breakthrough rate is about 30%.
0: Oh, so it's a lot lower than I thought. I thought it was most of the cases by now because so many people have been vaccinated.
3: So many people have been vaccinated, and so many people have had it that I think that that's probably why we're starting to see milder and milder illness.
0: And
1: what about the potential dangers of COVID for pregnant women and their unborn babies?
3: You know, I happen to have my expert here, (laughs) Dr. Derry. I'm going to make one quick comment and let her give uh, the details. I think the thing to remember is that the vaccines for pregnant women are safe, and the risk of actually getting flu or COVID is far greater than getting the vaccine. So that's the take-home message, but there are serious concerns in the pregnant patient.
4: So, uh, yeah, for sure, um they are safe. They've been proven to be safe. We've done a lot of studies now. It's been a couple of years, thousands and thousands of pregnant patients. So we know that the vaccines are safe and safe to the unborn baby. What we do know also is that unvaccinated uh, patients or patients that get COVID, that some of those pregnancy um, complications really kick in. High blood pressure, sepsis, um, you know, hemorrhaging, bleeding, those are some serious problems that we have when, when patients do get COVID. So protecting themselves and their unborn baby is super important.
0: And flu and RSV too? With,
4: yes. With yeah. that? Okay. Absolutely. So flu and, and RSV, those are all things that can have some serious complications in pregnancy. And is
1: it the same for children as well as babies? Because, you know, a little different patient
4: so for, for kids, and, and I'll, I'll kind of turf that back to, to uh, Dr. Mazier because she sees a lot of the children.
3: You know, I think for the most part, the children that we're seeing on the ambulatory side of things are doing pretty well. Um, they have colds. The kids right now with flu are looking pretty miserable, but technically not sick enough that they need to be in a hospital setting or that kind of thing. But I think that we can't, we would be uh, remiss if we didn't mention that some kids are still getting very sick from things like COVID and flu and definitely RSV. Um, There's a systemic inflammatory process that can happen in kids. It's rare, but it it does happen.
0: There's a a large percentage of the adult population that is just in the habit of getting flu shots every year and have been for a long time. Is there any percentage of the child population that regularly gets flu shots long-term or is that a a newer phenomenon with COVID?
3: No, I think that, I don't know the number, but the children get their annual flu shots just like adults do. Um, It's, you know, strongly recommended by the pediatric world. So uh, those numbers have been... I think the flu shot in children has been widely accepted for quite some time.
1: So, if uh, a lot of people have gotten five shots for the co- of the COVID vaccine, um, and if that's the case, but uh, some people have never been vaccinated, so so if they want to start getting more protected, how would they do that? What where do they start?
3: So that is dictated by the CDC um, and the FDA, and so right now. The primary series, so the two vaccine primary series is still required, and then the bivalent booster.
0: And that that is the same formula as the the vaccines we received two and a half years ago?
3: The primary series is the same formula. Primary series has not
0: changed. What if you've had one booster? In other words, there's there's people that are in all these different situations. They, they had the original series and then they had a booster. I, that's what I call it. I'm it's probably the wrong terminology. Then they go to the bivalent next. In other words, if you haven't had the bivalent, you can get it directly as long as you've had the original series. It doesn't matter how many boosters in between.
3: Correct. If you have had your original series, even if you had a booster with one of the original vaccine products, in order to be considered up-to-date with your vaccines, you should still have a bivalent booster. And the difference is the bivalent booster combines what we saw at the very beginning of COVID with what we're seeing now, so offers greater protection than the original monovalent.
0: So I haven't had Latin class since I was uh, in high school, <laughs> but bivalent, I know what bi means. Two. Valent? Is that, is that some Latin root to something? Or? It comes from vivo, vivari, vivari vivatus. <laughs> meaning variable. <laughs>
3: okay. Yes, what he said.
0: Okay. <laughs> but it's basically just an updated version.
3: It's an updated version. So it took it took it will respond to the original strains of COVID and the newer strain.
0: So who at this point in time is eligible for the bivalent? Obviously, you've already established that you have to have your original series of of vaccines, but Other than that, age groups? um...
3: So technically, everybody, six months and up, is now eligible. The six-month to five- or six-year just uh, went live December 9th, I think, the FDA approved it. So everybody is approved for that bivalent booster six months and up. Um, we as an organization have placed an order for the booster for that younger population, but we don't have an ETA yet on when we will get it. So that's important for the public to know that, yes, that age group has been approved. We don't have the vaccine on hand yet. And as soon as we do, our website will be updated and people can schedule for it.
0: I just saw a headline in the Wall Street Journal. I didn't read the article because that's how we get our news, right? We read headlines and (laughs) we just move on to the next thing. Thank you for admitting that. Our attention spans are very short. But it mentioned that um there are stockpiles of vaccines that are going unused. People aren't aren't using all the vaccines that are available. And are are you seeing that or hearing that in this area? Again, it's a Wall Street Journal article, so it's more of a national phenomenon, I guess. Are you hearing that there's and I don't know if they last a long time, if they're kept very cold or whatever?
3: I hadn't heard that there are stockpiles going unused. We are very busy from a vaccine standpoint. So we do primarily most of our vaccines through our, our Downers Grove drive through and we have them in a few of our physician offices. But we're busy from a vaccine standpoint, um, so and we're very careful about how much we actually keep on hand so that we're not having expired meds and that kind of thing. Um, so we're, we're still busy. We're still giving them, we're giving boosters. We're giving some primary series. The primary series are falling off a little bit and it's becoming more booster.
0: One last vaccine question. Um, I haven't heard of anybody having any bad reactions to this bivalent that I know. I didn't. Same. Uh, PK didn't. Um, are you hearing a lot of that? Like you were early on and that, not that there were a lot, but there were a decent amount.
3: I haven't heard of anything serious. I would say if you're going to give it, get it. Give yourself some time after you get it. People are complaining of the typical things: they felt achy, they felt tired, they just kind of felt down for 24 hours.
2: That's pretty normal. I, I feel haven't like heard that of every anything day. more serious. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question for Dr. Mazir because that's who I am, and I have to ask her questions. And I and I think it's important for the public to know this. There are a lot more long-haul COVID issues coming up. And even with people who have very mild COVID cases are having issues later. And I I am aware that they're in a variety of parts of your body system. So there's uh, memory issues, but there are also things with the circulatory system and the respiratory system. And um, people just don't understand or not getting diagnosed, but a lot of physicians I've talked to have many patients that have long-haul COVID. Can you talk about that?
3: I can. I think that the thing I keep saying about COVID, and someone already said it today, is that we just don't know yet. Um, we do know that there are patients, I see, I see patients every day who come into the clinic and they say, oh, I had COVID way back at the beginning, And I still have, and then name your symptom, I have brain fog. I still, my respiratory system still doesn't feel the same. Um, I have chronic fatigue after that. Almost every body system we're seeing is is affected. I think that in the next five years, the amount of information that we're going to learn and the data that we're going to gather and hopefully figure out how to address these concerns is going to be pretty tremendous. But it's a very real, um, it's a very real thing, and there's lots of people walking around with, with long symptoms after their COVID infection.
0: PK, you had a little bit of problems well, coming I was gonna, back when you uh, had it. I was
1: just thinking about how much I, sh- I should be willing to admit, but um, because <laughs> I I do wonder if I have long term symptoms in terms of like brain fog or whatever, or if I'm just getting old, you know. Um, so it's uh, kind of not sure where, what what path it's taking.
3: It's interesting, and I think we're going to see a lot more work dedicated to it. We have a clinic that will see patients with um, what they think are their long-term COVID symptoms. I think we're going to see a lot more of that and hopefully gain a lot more knowledge about that in the coming months to
2: years. And it's not just people who are older that are having those long-haul symptoms. There are young people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s that are experiencing that as well. It's not just
0: old people. It
1: takes me longer to play Wordle now.
2: And like Pam said, it's also not um,
3: not necessarily because you had a prolonged hospitalization or something right. like that with your COVID. So right. more, to, more to come, I think, on that topic. I think it's a good, good topic that we're going to learn a lot about.
1: We want to uh, go back to a bigger picture and just question how, how busy has the hospital been recently in terms of the ER, inpatient, outpatient, that kind of stuff?
2: So if the community is wondering what's going on at Elmhurst and you come to our emergency room, you might think it's not the same environment because we have been overrun with patients. And this has been going on for months. It just continually has uh, increased. And to make matters worse, we were doing construction in the emergency department. So it felt like you were not in the same um, wonderful, welcoming environment that we normally have. On top of the fact that we're still having issues with having enough staff because of the fact that people really got burned out during COVID, and particularly the emergency department. That was the first line of defense. That was where everybody really was under um, so much pressure and, and so afraid because we didn't know what was going on and just trying to rebuild that environment. I think they're doing a good job of trying to rebuild. But we we've been running... Um, normally you'd say we run around 200 patients a day that would be a good day we have been running anywhere around 260 to 80 per day patients in the emergency department which is a large volume I think we hit 300 the other day which um, you know sometimes you have to wait a little longer and people are not particularly happy to wait um, in terms of the hospital can I we, can
1: I address that though just yes. real quickly I spent a quite a few hours in the ER yesterday with a family member, and it went great. It was uh, smooth. Thank you. But what's funny, I've, I haven't been there in a long time, and um, it, it does seem a lot bigger than we it did. We just opened yeah. up the uh, yeah. waiting area because yeah. that
2: was part of the construction because people were up and down the halls, and we hopefully it, it now feels a little more welcoming. But inside the ED, there's still some uh, construction going on, and once that's done, I think it'll be a lot better. And once we get all the staff that we need, that will make it a lot better as well. It's not that we don't have staff; we do use agency, but it's our not our own staff that un- know and understand how we like to treat patients.
1: Well, everyone there yesterday was great and very helpful and friendly, and uh, it went really smooth. and And I don't think anybody knew I was a famous podcaster. <laughs>
2: No, I didn't tell them you were yeah. coming. <laughs> you can feel free to name drop. <laughs> but but yes, I, thank you very much, because I think those staff work really hard, the physicians and the staff, and, and they do appreciate when people um, recognize what they're doing. The hospital has also been on red census. We have been extremely busy for months now, and we haven't hit our busy season. Now you're going to say, what's going on in the hospital? And um, we are having some COVID, but that's steady. That's not too increased. We have had a lot of flu, um, but what we've also had is a lot of cardiac, a lot of um, GI issues, a lot of things going on because I think people didn't really get the care they were supposed to be getting during COVID because they were afraid or they just didn't go out and didn't recognize what was going on with them. And everybody's coming. It's like a perfect storm. Everybody's coming in at once. Um, We've been running. We have 259 uh, licensed beds one day we were up to 300 inpatients as well. Uh, so we luckily have a lot of flex space that allows us. But part of the flex space is the emergency department, so we'll take rooms away from the emergency department for inpatient, and that then makes the emergency department a little bit slower as well. So be patient. We're hoping um, we can get through the winter We know that uh, parking is an issue. I'm sure everybody can tell you that they spend hours driving around looking for a parking spot. Use our valet. That's why we have it. Um, Don't worry about it. If you're thinking you're just visiting, you don't want to use the valet, use it. We know that parking is an issue, and we are constantly figuring out what we can do about that.
0: In particular, as it relates to the emergency department, um, are there space concerns, or is it personnel mostly?
2: It's both. But that's why we're doing the construction. When we uh, finish the construction, we'll have a few more rooms. And then if we can uh, keep from having to steal their rooms for inpatients, they should have enough space.
0: So we all heard that the uh, greatest singer in the world was uh, sick recently and is sick with something called stiff person syndrome. And when I heard this, I like this has to be a creation of Hollywood. Is it is it really a thing?
3: I'll tell you. Are you talking
1: about
0: Frank Sinatra? <laughs> no, your girl's Because he, yeah. <laughs> yes, he is stiff. Yes, Okay, so He's Celine Dion. De-
1: For those people who don't know, Celine Dion.
0: Well, I thought everybody knew who the greatest <laughs> singer in the world was. She's president of her own fan club, I think. Whoa.
3: She, personal the only commentary. reason I looked it up is because she's one of my favorite performers. Oh,
0: gosh. I and just insulted yes, Dr. Mazar.
3: <laughs> and I thought the same thing as you. I never heard of it. Stiff person syndrome, never heard of it. So I looked it up on a credible source because she's my favorite and I wanted to know if I could, nope. I (laughs) don't know know if I could ever see her again. Um, It's a real thing, super rare. One source I read said like two cases per one million of the population. Um, I wish they didn't name it that because it a little bit sounds, I don't know. It It makes you think that it's made up. Exactly. They don't know what causes it specifically, but maybe think an autoimmune component to it. Um, I'm not a neurology expert. This is just what I learned because she's my favorite. Um, But it is devastating, like muscle stiffness and spasm and pain, um, which makes me worry if she'll ever be able to perform again.
0: Right. Um, We kind of want to end today with – asking Pam about uh, her impending retirement, but uh, Dr. Mazir, would you just kind of tell us how you're going to miss Pam and uh, um, and how you'll be working with Dr. Derry going forward? And then we'll give Dr. Derry a chance to.
3: Yeah. So I have worked with Pam in, in some fashion the entire time that I've been here. So I've been here 20 years and have watched Pam transition through her roles in the hospital. Um, She has done a great job of relationship building and kind of setting the tone for how everybody in this hospital behaves. And I think that we, that's what we need to carry on. That needs to be Pam's legacy is that we need to carry on how we treat each other, um, how we treat our patients. And that's what I think everybody will kind of attribute to her. Um, I have zero concerns about my relationship with the upcoming leadership. Um, Kim and I have had a close relationship. When I was president for three years, Kim became the CMO. And so she and I have had a very close relationship over the last several years. And I'm excited for her and here to help her in any way. Um, So I think that although it's an exciting time in the organization with young leaders stepping up and taking charge, we're all a little trepidatious because Pam's leaving and Mm -hmm. Lou's leaving and some other um, seasoned leaders have left, but I think that we've grown our leadership and I think we're in a good place.
0: And Dr. Derry, did Pam give you her cell phone number or did she refuse to give it to you? I
4: I told her carrier that she can't change the number. (laughs) 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 No, it it is such an honor and privilege. I will tell you that uh, I've learned so much just working side by side with her over the years and uh, it is You know, Elmhurst is a wonderful place. Um, She has set the bar so high, um, and not only just for our employees, even our community, they know what they're going to expect when they come here because she the bar is so high. I love when we were walking and touring around, and she's like, that corner's not clean. I don't know. we got to do something about this. I mean, so it's really just that the standards are very high. And so uh, she loves this organization. She loves uh, the way that we take care of our patients and our community, We are a patient-centered hospital. We, We really care about everyone coming through the door, whether they're a visitor, whether they're a patient, or the employees, we, you know, and so that caring spirit is something that I have in myself anyway. And I would love to continue to c- carry on that tradition. And really that's our legacy. That's our value system. So, uh, we, we want to do everything we can to serve our community. And so I'm so excited. I'm excited for her because this is such a new chapter in her life and she seems so happy. She's relaxed <laughs> and looks great. And I know she'll speak about that, but I, I'm just really thrilled, uh, to be able to continue a legacy like this it's nothing to fix it's something to just continue so well
0: it sounds like she rubbed off on you two ladies and and maybe a little of you two ladies rubbed off on her too
2: (laughs) absolutely
1: so pam i gotta ask what was your favorite part about being the president of the hospital
2: my favorite part just being with the people i i love people and i love what we were able to create the move was fun. That day that we moved from the old hospital to the new hospital, that was like the most exciting day. That within four hours transferring hundred patients to a yeah. brand new hospital and nothing going wrong. I mean, it was it was great.
1: It's a it's moving into a new new house times a million. Yeah. It was,
2: <laughs> and it cost that too. <laughs>
0: Couple. So um, before we get into what you're going to do in retirement, one one question that I have to ask, and it, it's probably not question you're looking forward to but um no it's not that bad do you do you think that in your case and maybe i I know in other people's case because you've mentioned it do you think covid might have uh, contributed to you deciding to move on and retire like like it just took so much out of you because it it took a lot out of society and in, in your business the three of you i'm looking at the medical professionals. I mean, I can't imagine what you all went through.
2: I'll tell you, during the first phase of COVID, it was very scary. And it was, I mean, I, I was here seven days a week with the employees. I would not leave. I wanted to round. I felt it was my obligation to um, go through what they were going through and for them to know that none of us are above being here where this is our calling this is what we have to do but i would go home at night and i would say i'm gonna die you know i I was scared no just like everybody else um i think that takes a moment to reflect on your life and and think about how much time you have left in life and so i have worked since i was 15 years old i have never not worked there were times i raised four little girls alone I worked during the day, and I was a waitress at night. I was a director here in the day and waitress at night. I've always been very driven, and I feel so blessed to have been part of this organization. This has been a career I never would have ever dreamt of having, and it it has been just wonderful, but I've never had my life, you know, where I am... um, learning new things and being able to relax and enjoy. And since my daughter, oldest daughter moved to South Carolina three years ago and my youngest daughter moved there a year ago and they're enjoying this new life, I thought, when am I ever going to be able to do that? And, and now when I turned of age, um, I thought it was <laughs> the right time because the part of my life that's left isn't as long as the part that I've already experienced. And so, yes, I think it was just that reevaluating your life, but not the... Burnout. If I was younger, I'd stay here and I'd keep doing what I'm doing. I wouldn't have left. But it's because timing. You have to have a time in your life where you do something for yourself. And this is mine.
0: Any professional regrets?
2: No, actually, none. I've had, I worked for HCA for 13 years at River Edge Hospital, all psychiatry. I love that. I was at Rush. I've been at Hinsdale. I've primarily been here. This has been my longest part of my career. And I never thought I would do what I've done. But every time I had this opportunity, someone would say, hey, why don't you try this? I'd go, yeah, that sounds like fun. Let's try it. If you had said, are you going to be a president? I would have said you were nuts because I was a rebel. I didn't even think I'd get into leadership. But it just all happened. <laughs> and um, and. And I, I've loved everything. I, I have absolutely no regrets in anything in my life. I think you have, to, you can't. You have to live life to its fullest and never look back. Because if you thought it you should have done it differently, you would have done it differently.
0: Next Tuesday morning, what do you hope to be doing in South Carolina? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe nothing. One day.
2: No, no. I have a list. At, maybe by mid January, nothing. <laughs> but you know, I have to first become a citizen of, of South Carolina, <laughs> and because. It helps with your, my house taxes down there. And, and and then my kids are coming down, and we're going to be starting our Christmas meal. And so I've got to get the house decorated for Christmas. I've got a lot to do. Um, but then after the holidays, yes, then I will probably be going, okay, now I can sit back and drink a cup of coffee and look at the lake and relax.
0: What's Christmas meal, barbecue?
2: <laughs> barbecue?
0: Barbecue in <laughs> South Carolina?
2: Uh, <laughs> no, I'm bringing my Assyrian tradition down there and making um. my stuffed grape leaves down there.
0: Wow, Ooh. Interesting. You you got to get into the barbecue a little bit though, and I don't know that region. You're oh,
2: I've had the barbecue down there; it's good.
0: Because I know different regions they either have mustard or vinegar or tomato based, and it's more you know. the vinegar one there. Are you a grits okay. fan? You like? Grits? I love grits, oh, and every time i have breakfast there, I have yep. grits.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I fit in. <laughs>
0: so you're you're leaving this week. We wish you the best. It's uh, been a lot of fun. We've I think we've recorded over seventy podcast episodes um in the last what is it almost it's going on three years in march it'll be three years um and and of course we we recorded one with you a couple of years before that where we got to know about all your hobbies and your passion for ufc uh fights and uh, not being part of it but watching them so it, it's been a real delight and we appreciate all the time you've spent and i don't think you know how much time you've spent In interviews and then, of course, prepping and then your your fellow employees have have helped you quite a bit, I know. But uh, thank you so much to you and and all of your fellow employees for all you've done for the community.
2: Well, thank you. And I I have a couple things to say. First of all, Friday is my last day here. And then I'll be moving down to South Carolina Saturday morning at 530 in the morning with two dogs and my car full. Wow. Friday, I get to serve the holiday meal to the staff, and it is such a wonderful way to, to end your career is to be serving holiday food to the staff before I leave. I love this community. I, you guys have been wonderful, both of you, and you have made... um the connection between the hospital and the community so strong. And that's and this community built this hospital. And if you go back in the history to how the hospital even got built in the first place, it was the community that got together. And all the years, even when there was a down, you know, the depression, the community came back together to make sure this hospital went forward. And so we never want to lose sight of that community connection. And it's because of the things that you're doing and keeping the community informed that allows us to be so well connected. And thank you for the opportunity for me to be able to do what I do and be able to serve this community the way it's been served. And I know Dr. Derry and, and Dr. Mazira are going to continue it. We have great young talent. It was the so much fun being able to grow people. That's probably my favorite thing is growing people and seeing them excel. And this community will continue to have a great gem, as we say, in their community. Thank
1: you. Yes, thank you very much.
2: The E-Town Lowdown, brought to you by the wonderful folks at... The Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right, nine feet in diameter.
0: This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.